Good morning. Well, it's nine o'clock, and I, I'm going to uh, go ahead and get us started. The meeting is being recorded, just so you know. And we have invited um, Greg Marcello from LEARN, which many of you are familiar with, to provide, it's going to be a two-part training on project management for contract education. We've been working with Greg for at least two years on a variety of projects that we hope bring the best resources to you, our contract education practitioners, so that you can serve your business and industry partners in your um, region. And um, what Faith and I try very, very hard to do is to ask you what you need to be successful. And then we work with individuals like <coughs> Greg Marcello and his team to develop those resources and then bring them to you either in a webinar or you can see the toolkits on our website. Um, so keep letting us know what you need because that's the only way Faith and I can go out and do our work and, and keep you um, keep your toolbox full, if I say. So uh, without further ado, I'm gonna turn the meeting over to Greg and have him start. Great, well, thank you, Margaret, and thanks everyone for inviting me today. I look forward to presenting, and I've had a great experience working with all of you over the last couple of years, and I just wanna tip my cap to you for the work you're doing and, um, and the efforts you're making to improve your expertise. So having this opportunity to be able to present to you is an honor for me, and I will do my best to give you the best information, or as we say at LEARN, information that works. So for those of you who are new to LEARN, LEARN is the Learning Resources Network, and we are the leading association in what we call lifelong learning. So we support both continuing education, open enrollment programming, and contract education, contract selling to businesses, government agencies, and local organizations. Bill Draves and I founded LEARN in 1974, and our focus is our members. And so what our focus is primarily is providing what we call information that works, which very simply means that we provide the benchmarks, we provide the best practices, we provide the strategies, the numbers, et cetera. And we provide a lot of technical assistance along the way. So doing a presentation like this is a good example of some of the things we do. As I said, I'm a co-founder of LEARN and I'm a senior advisor. I really focus on sort of the information end and working with programs. When COVID is not active, I travel about 40 to 45 weeks a year visiting programs throughout North America. And probably I have visited more organizations doing lifelong learning than anyone else over my career. So I've gotten a really good chance to see what's working and what's not working. I think the other thing that's important to those who are listening today is, although we use the term contract training, you use the term contract education, I am learned subject matter expert in this area. So I develop our trainings, um, I manage our advisory group, I run our contract training conference. So all the things that we do that relates to contract education, I am our subject matter expert. I'm the one who does the work in that area. And so even after this presentation, if there are other questions that you have about things that aren't even part of project management, feel free to contact me because um, I'm very happy to answer any questions and help you in any way that I can. So we're doing this as a two-part webinar. We'll have a meeting today and I'll present and we'll also then present on the 24th. 
Um, each time we're covering three topics. So today I'll be covering what is project management, project management and, and contract education, and the project management model. And then next week I'll come back and we'll talk about project management best practices. We'll look at a very specific contract education project management example, which you will get a copy of. So it's a good model to be able to use going forward. And then we'll talk about um, a variety of best practices as they relate to implementing project management. One of the things to know is, is that Margaret and Faith are sort of managing um, the, uh, the question box. And so if you have any questions throughout the presentation, please type them in and um, they'll be stopping me to ask them. At the end, I will open it for any questions, but um, if you've got a burning question that you want to ask prior to the end of the presentation, give it a shot and I'll do my best answering it. We've scheduled this as a 90-minute webinar. We won't go over 90 minutes. If we finish early, no one will complain, I'm sure, um, but we've got 90 minutes to work together today and the same thing will be true next week. Greg, um, yeah. if I can just, um, we do have one question. Um, uh, some people have to cut out at 10 o'clock. So this is being recorded. We will be loading it up to our podcast. Usually within five to six days, we, we get that accomplished. And we will be sending out the PowerPoint slides as well. Um, and one thing I just want to note, we have opened up all of our webinars to our full listserv. And that doesn't mean everybody on our listserv is contract ed uh, focused. So please, if you have questions that are outside of the contract ed realm, this probably isn't the venue to be asking those because this is specifically for contract ed, contract training practitioners. Um, and again, Greg is very happy to answer other questions, but if you're asking questions outside of that realm, we, we probably want to lean more towards contract ed, contract training today. So thank you. But certainly, I think everything that we're going to cover this week and next week is for a whole organization that's doing continuing ed and contract education. So, and again, if there is a question that I can answer, feel free to ask it. We're going to make this as interactive as possible. So there's going to be times I'm going to ask you for your reaction to something I might say. We'll have a few place times in the chat room, which we want you to sort of add some things that you are doing. We've got a couple of polls. And yes, at the end, making sure that you're staying awake, I will give you a quiz. Um, I won't be collecting it. I won't even know how you did, but I will ask some questions at the end so that you get a sense of some of the things I thought were important. It's a five question quiz, so don't stress on that. But we're trying to make it as interactive. So again, if you've got questions, ask them, but also we've added a variety of different functions to the webinar to try to get your involvement. So let me just start by saying, you know, when I do a presentation like this one, it's really important to say at the beginning, you know, one size does not fit all. I understand that some of you may be larger contract education teams and some of you may be one person who has a lot more responsibilities than just contract education. So my goal here is not to say this is the only way to do things. My goal is just to share information and where you feel you can utilize some or all of it, be my guest. You want to shape it to fit your business or your style, that's fine. So don't feel like if you I cover some things and you go, I can never do it. It's better to look at it and say, what can I pull from this to utilize as I'm trying to do project management? 
as it relates to my business and what we're doing at our organization. The other thing is, is that there's certainly very complex ways of doing project management and there's simple ways of doing project management. I'm probably giving you some mid-range here on this and the sample that we'll do, I will look at in more detail next week will certainly be one yeah. I think is workable for our types of organizations. But again, you may even want to simplify it more than that or you want to, might, might want to even make it more complex. Again, it's what works for you. But my sense is I'm giving you sort of a mid-range view of what project management means as it relates to contract education. I did want to start before we got into the project management piece, because people always like to hear this, is to give you a state of contract education from my perspective. So again, I don't live in your state. I'm not living on what you're doing day to day within the state of California, but I can tell you what's sort of going on across North America. And there's sort of two buckets. One okay. bucket is pre-COVID and the other bucket is sort of during or post-COVID. So I do, I do need to, I'm sorry, question? No, so I do need to say that pre-COVID, things were going really well in contract education. I called it a period of more. Contract education was considered more important, meaning that it was getting better support from the institution. Contract education was more creative, different ways of delivering, different ways of selling, different ways of doing needs assessment. Contract education was more data-driven. People were actually looking at their numbers, determining how many leads it was taking to get a contract, knowing their average contract fee, making decisions because of data. There was more selling. We weren't waiting for people to call. We were actually being proactive about generating leads, nurturing those leads, getting those sales. Contract education was more profitable. It is considered the most profitable area in our business. And it was definitely getting more profitable with people reporting margins definitely over 50% and some over 60%. Um, contract education was more in depth. This was the needs assessment side. People were getting much deeper into needs assessment and providing what I call solution statements so that when they were selling, they weren't just sort of selling off the shelf, they were actually analyzing, digging deeper, and then providing some sort of solution for the company that they were working with. More collaboration, so more collaboration within, but also more collaboration within the community, sector groups, things like that. Referrals, lots more. Salespeople were asking for referrals and referrals were beginning to generate upwards to 25% of the sales that were being generated. And then it was just more fun. I think people were enjoying contract education more than maybe they were enjoying it a few years ago. But then COVID hit. And over the last three months or five months, I've been working with lots of the leaders in the field trying to sort of figure out what's going to happen going forward. I mean, certainly during is hard. Some programs are doing nothing at all because they're not allowed to. Some programs are doing face-to-face. -face. So it is ranging from one extreme to the other. But some of the things that are being worked on during this period as there's a prep for post-COVID is there's clearly an enormous shift to online. There's a lot more of the contracts that are being sold that are being sold using online technology. There's definitely a push to be more connected. And I think this is important, even though 
Um, contract education teams know it's hard selling contracts. They're trying to sort of stay in front of their existing clients and potential clients by providing them content, information, doing free webinars, those types of things. There's work being done now on lead generation. By doing some of these free things, leads are coming up that we won't sell now, but once things come back to normal, whatever normal will be, these will be people or companies that we can now go after. Lots of effort going into upskilling instructors in two areas. One is the online side, just being able to use online, teach online, live online, whatever it might be. But the other side is upskilling instructors to be more facilitators. One of the things we know is that many of the contracts that we're selling these days are not just off the shelf Excel or something like that. They're contracts that are requiring the instructor to be more of a consultant, to be more of a facilitator. And so we're really trying to prep and teach our instructors how to do that. More partnering going on. So particularly within the institution, Partnering with the academic side is getting more aggressive. The academic side certainly having some challenges too, looking for ways to generate additional revenue, make contacts. And also one of the most important numbers, and this is supported both by contract ed and continuing ed, is the matriculation of non-credit to students to credit. And we're becoming really critical in that role. Programs across North America are showing that percentage at six to 13%. And so that's a, a, an important sort of pipeline that leads into the academic side. And so partnering, we're starting to see sort of more support from the academic side because of those, that potential pipeline. Lots of new products and services are at least being explored right now. They might not be being built, but we're looking at, because we've got a little bit more time, what types of things our clients are gonna need going forward. So work is going on talking to clients. They're not buying, but we're talking to them about what their needs are gonna be going forward. We're reshaping our business. So we're figuring out how to do a better job of doing what we do. But one of the other things that we're seeing happen is that a lot of businesses have been hit hard by COVID and they're having to figure out how to reshape how they do their business. And so we're working with businesses on those types of contracts where we're actually coming in and teaching them how to make the transition out of COVID, how to get their company back up and running again appropriately. And so that reshaping of business tends to be a contract trend we're seeing. We're also seeing a trend of not just selling locally, but selling across, say, North America. There's no borders. Yes, you can't compete maybe with the community college that's next to you, but you certainly can compete in Nebraska or Ohio or whatever. And so as we're using more virtual tools, we're starting to look at contracts that we can support, not just locally, but outside of our borders. And then one of the big shifts is really just the shift from information to solutions, where really we're focusing on not we can come in and just do training, but we can come in and provide solutions to your company. And one of the things that's really important about this is that we're realizing that we can't sell everybody. So let's do a really good job selling the companies, the government agencies, the organizations that can afford what it is that we have to offer and look at ways of even providing them more. So it may be not as much about getting more clients, but it's about doing more with existing clients. 
One of the things that I produced uh, over the last three months were three reports on the pandemic and on what contract training teams, the terminology we used in these reports, are doing. And so these three reports, Faith will be sending out later today to all of you. And some of the things that I just talked about are included in there, as well as other things that I learned as I was talking to leaders in the field. So I think these three are a great resource as you're trying to sort of figure out what it is you need to do as you begin to transition sort of out of COVID. And I think there's lots of great tips in here that were provided by leaders in the field. So we are gonna do our first poll here. And so as we said, Margaret is managing this poll for me and she's gonna have it pop up. And we're asking you, when will contract education go back to normal? September, 2020, January, 2021, April, 2021, July, 2021, January, 2022 or later. So go ahead and vote. I'm gonna stop talking for a moment as you vote, but go ahead and vote. And then um, when Margaret feels like she's got enough responses, we'll let her uh, make sure we know what those totals were. And I will vote too. We've got about 21 votes out of 28. So I'm just waiting for a few more to vote. Some people might be on their phones and not, maybe not seeing it, but. And we got 21, that gives us a pretty good sense. There you go. We've got, and now we've got 25 out of 28. So I'll end the polling. And what are, um, share the results. Okay, here's the results. So, Greg, do you want me to read them or would you no, like I can see we're, we're basically, no one thinks we're back there now. 4% say January 2021, 16% say April 2021, 56% say July 2021, which is what I think too. And then 16% said January 2022 and 8% said later. I don't think it's going to change until July or later. Um, and again, I think we'll get a better sense of that over the next three months, but I do think this is going to take time. Thus, the reason that some of the things I just talked about a moment ago, people are focused on now, knowing that this year is just not going to be a year like past years. Great. Thanks for responding. That's great. All right. So let's move along. So the first unit or first topic is what is project management? And these are the things I'm gonna talk about, what the term means, um, what project management is as a tool to increase success, some of the challenges with project management and what the relationship is between project management and change management. So what's project management mean? The first thing is, is that a project is temporary. A project has a beginning, it has an end. So your job isn't a project. Your job is what you do day in and day out. Your job of being in contract education and selling contracts and delivering them, et cetera, is what you do. But within your job, there may be multiple projects that you work on. But what really is defining the project is it has a beginning and an end. 
The other thing is, is that it normally is unique. It's not a routine operation that you do, but it's something that you're working on, hopefully that's going to ultimately improve performance, be it if it's improving your product performance, your sales performance, your operations performance, your internal um, customer relationship performance. It can be anything. And when we talk about projects later, we'll see there's a variety of different projects. But normally a project has a goal. There is something we want to come out of that once we finish that project. And then the other reason that we call them projects and we operate them as projects is that we want to make sure that we get them done on time, they stay on budget, we get the results that we want, the project is a success. And so we look at it as not something that we're just doing as part of our day-to-day -day job, but we've made a commitment and saying this is something we are going to work on as a project that has a beginning and an end date and the goal is to make sure we do this as successfully as possible. So when we talk about project management, obviously then project management is about trying to identify what we think the problems are going to be, and then to build a project plan that allows us to successfully beat those risks, allows us to be successful in completing that project. So having some structure to how we actually manage our projects then gives us a way to hopefully ensure that we're going to be successful with those projects. There are tons of challenges with projects, and I think all of these are going to be things we're all aware of. There's many times we try to do a project and it's just not clear what the goal of the project is. Or the project changes. Someone wants it, you know, halfway through it, we're working on something and someone wants it to change. There's not enough skills. We just don't have the expertise to do what needs to be done. There is not accountability. There is not a person managing that project or a team that's part of making that project work that is accountable. There's no contingency plan. So if something were to occur, we don't have anything in place to how we will react in a contingency manner. No good communication between people, stakeholders, um, people who are outside of the project, people within the project. Deadlines that are just unrealistic. You can't get it done in the time that people are expecting. You don't have the resources to do what you need to do. And there's really not good engagement with the people who are the stakeholders, the people who are going to benefit from the project. And so I would say normally without good structure to how we do projects, the rate of success with projects is low. I think the other thing is, is that all too often we just take on too many projects. We need to do a better job of saying what do we think is really going to be a valuable project which versus what isn't. And we'll look at that a little bit more as we go forward. So as we talk about project management and change management, our focus definitely this week and next week is project management. But it's good to understand the difference between the two. So project management is about installation. Project management is about identifying what the project is, putting the project plan in place, coming up with whatever it is that we're working on, and then installing that. So if the project is a restructuring of our organization, well, we do the project and we, inst we install whatever that was that we were working on. Change management is about adoption. Change management is about our ability to get people to accept whatever it is we've now put in place. 
and normally with projects that are much more um, impactful within the organization, there is a need to be doing both project management and change management. So this could be internally where we have to worry about change management and it may be externally if we're doing a project that's impacting others within our institution or if we're doing a project that's impacting um, others that we do business with, for example. We just need to understand that there is a difference between these two. Normally, when we think about change management, there are five components to that. You prepare people for the change, which means there's a vision of what's going to happen. And in that, we're crafting that vision and that plan for the change. We're then, once we develop it, we're implementing that change. And then we're trying to embed it into our culture and what we do. And then we're analyzing it, reviewing it, determining how to fix it going forward. When we're talking about project management, two and three is more where our focus is. We've got a vision of what it is we want to accomplish. We're, we're figuring out how to do that. And then ultimately we're implementing that. But if it's gonna require significant change within the organization, then we need to realize that we've got to have change management as well as project management. So if the project is developing a new certificate program, that may not require change management. But if the project is, say, a new staffing structure, then that may require change management, or most likely would require change management. So it's just good for our discussion these next two weeks to sort of understand that there is project management and there is change management our focus is on project management. So as this relates to contract education, so this is the next topic. And so let's talk about why project management is important. One of the things I really want to zero in on is the concept of projects as new revenue streams, because I think many times the reason we do projects is to generate new revenue streams. We'll look at some examples of projects. We'll talk about projects as it relates to management, and I'm going to talk a little bit about business plans and strategic plans, and then we're going to talk about how we integrate this into our other plans, again, that business and strategic plan. So let's just start with you going into the chat room for a moment, and we'll let um, Margaret monitor this, but, you know, just before I start talking about examples of projects, Etc. go ahead and just type in like one to three of what you consider projects you've done or what you consider common projects. Maybe a project you've done, maybe it's not a project you've done. But go ahead and just share one to three and then we'll let Margaret read some of those. We certainly don't need to read all of them, but let's just share some of them. So go ahead into the chat room. I'll take a minute and stop talking and you go ahead and type some things in. And Margaret, you can start to read some as you get them. I don't think you need to worry about getting them all. Okay, Greg. So a development of soft skills training for healthcare workers as competency-based modules. Incumbent worker upskilling. Developing a marketing strategy for a specific sector. Uh, develop adult lecture series. Leadership Academy setting up the expansion of our program. That's uh, 
That's great. Those are good. Those are terrific examples. And I think as we talk about project management, every one of those, I would agree, is a project. And I think if you go back to what I said earlier, this is important, is that if you're thinking of them as a project, it means that it has a beginning and end. It means that you've defined it as a project versus this is just something I do as part of my job. And so you've got to sort of pull it out and say, we're looking at this as a project and we need to work on it as a project versus trying to fit it in with everything else we're doing and not really giving it that definition of being a project. So why is project management important in contract education? First of all, things are getting much more complex. We're being asked to do way more than we've been asked to do in the past. Things just that we're being asked to do are more complicated to do and to deliver. It's just not as simple world as it used to be. So there are things that we need to be more proactive about defining as projects and dealing with as projects. The success rate is critical. We can't spend a lot of time on any of those things that you just came up with and then not have them be successful. We need to make sure that they're done right. I'm always a, a believer of do less things and do them right than doing more things and do them poorly. So we need to be selective a lot of times about what are the projects we should work on and what are the projects we shouldn't be working on. And I'll give you some criteria for that in a moment. Another reason is, is that we just don't have the resources, be it if it's people resources, software resources, um, outsourcing resources, et cetera, financial resources to make these things happen. Again, we pick the right, we have right and wrong projects. So all of a sudden we start putting time into something that really doesn't have the return on investment we need it to have. And you just can't be everything to everyone. One of the things I always say to people when I'm doing a training and I work with them is, when you go to bed at night, you put your head on the pillow one way and you say, you can't be everything to everybody. And then you flip your head the other way and you say, numbers are my friends. And I think those two things are sort of critical in sort of setting ourselves some mantras for how we do what we do. It's just impossible to satisfy your whole community. So you wanna make sure you're doing the best job with the, the, the components of your community that envision you as being supportive of what they do and what they need. So I was saying about criteria, and I think if you wanted a checklist when you're doing a project, this is a good checklist. The first is, what's the probability of success? I mean, do I think that we can successfully, successfully complete this project? Because if you don't think you can successfully complete it, for whatever the reason is, you shouldn't do it. The second thing is, do we have the data we need in order to move with this project? Some projects may not require data, some projects may require data, but do we have the information? Do we have the access? You know, some of you were talking about your projects as being, you know, certain new things that you're developing as content you're going to be able to sell or deliver. Well, you may need data to be able to develop that content, and if you don't have it, and the chances of being able to build that content are going to be less. The third is, does this project, is this project going to generate you the income and or the savings that you need? So when you look at it, does it look like the juice is worth the squeeze? Am I going to put a lot of time into this 
and not be able to generate income or not be able to generate savings, or if you don't care about either, am I going to be able to at least make a large enough act, um, uh, entry into the community? Am I going to be able to have an impact or not? The third thing on the checklist is it's the right time. You know, really, can we do it now or ought to we wait a year to do it because we just don't have people available to work on it um, or we just don't have the funding resources to do it? And so we need to decide if the timing is right. The fifth thing is, do we have the resources? Do we have the money? Do we have the people? Do we have the expertise that we need? Do we have what we need to be able to do this project? Will the project have a big enough impact? And again, this can be an internal impact versus an external impact. It really depends on what the project is. But do we feel like this is going to have as big an impact as something else that we might be able to do? And then lastly, is it a priority? You have a mission, and your mission is to serve your community the best you can. And sometimes we take on projects that really don't meet that mission. We might be taking them on because there's available funding. We might be taking them on because someone up the ladder says we ought to be doing it. Well, is it really a priority? And when I say priority, there's lots of things that can be a priority in our business, but we need to decide where it falls on the priority list. So there may be things that are much more important to be putting time into than maybe this project. So if you've got a bunch of projects swirling around and you're trying to say, well, what should we work on? I think if you went through these seven things, probability of success, availability of data, income and or savings potential, timing, availability of resources, impact, and then priority, these should help you decide what falls to the top of the project list and what falls to the bottom of the project list. So what I'm doing here is a little bit of a sidebar, but I think this is really important for us to talk about. Many times, and you came up with a bunch of them, we do projects because we're looking at them as being new revenue streams. We're looking at them as being new ways for us to serve our community and to generate new revenue. Now, revenue may be actual dollars. Revenue may be people that then we get funding for. Revenue could just be visibility that is worth doing it. So when I say revenue, it's not always dollars and cents. But for this example, I'm going to use the term revenue. So when we think about new revenue streams, normally a new revenue stream falls into one of these three buckets. We have decided that we're gonna develop a new program area. We have never done work in health. So we are going to develop content in the health area. We're gonna be able to go sell contracts to hospitals and other health providers. The second bucket is audience. This is market segment. We're gonna be able to develop content. We're gonna be able to develop services that support engineers. We're gonna go after this audience because we've never gone after this audience before. The third is we're gonna come up with a new delivery method. Well, the obvious one that many of us have dealt with the last six months is online. Maybe we weren't doing online as it relates to contract education and now we're gonna do it. And we're looking at that as being a new revenue stream. So when you're thinking about a new revenue stream that you're going to have to build a project around to support, it's going to be a new 
program area, it's going to be a new audience, it's going to be a new delivery method. When we think about new revenue streams, there are certain guidelines that you ought to use. So a moment ago, I gave you guidelines that they relate to projects. Well, when we're thinking about a new revenue stream as being a potential project, I think there are additional guidelines that we need to look at. The first one is, will this new revenue stream last at least three years? Why would we develop some of the things you mentioned earlier if they're not going to last at least three years? The second is, is it going to generate five to 10% of our overall revenue? Remember, this is not one course. This is not one contract. We're talking about developing a new program area, a new delivery method, a new audience that we're going to go after. So it's got to have a reasonable return on investment. So if we don't feel like it can generate that type of revenue, may not be worth all the energy. The third is, will it generate an appropriate operating margin? For those of you who haven't heard about the term operating margin, and you may use another term for it, it's basically taking revenue and subtracting direct costs. So you generate revenue selling contracts. Your direct costs are basically your delivery costs. So if you subtract your delivery costs from your revenue, you get an operating margin. That's the money that's left over. Sell a contract for $10,000, costs you $5,000 to deliver it. You've got $5,000 left over. That's what's called your operating margin. In contract education, the goal is to have an operating margin of 50% or better. So again, guideline is, will this new revenue stream have an operating margin of 50% or better? The fourth guideline is, is there a market potential? Remember the movie Jerry Maguire, show me the money, show me the money. Well, this is show me the names. If you walked in my office, you could probably convince me that a new revenue stream would last three years. You could probably convince me it'll generate the revenue. You could probably convince me it'll get the operating margin. But can you show me the companies that you're going to go sell it to, the government agencies you're going to go sell it to, the organizations you're going to go sell it to? Because if you can't show me the names, it clearly is not worth doing it. And then the fifth is, I normally say to programs, unless you're an enormous program, is that one new revenue stream per year is enough. If you are trying to develop multiple new revenue streams per year, you're going to take on too many and you're going to find that they're going to, they're not any of them, none of them are going to have the quality level you want. So if we're going to take on new revenue streams, they become projects. And if we feel like we're taking on too many of these new projects, we're going to find that we're just not going to be able to get the biggest bang out of buck for the work we're doing. This is a model that I teach for being able to select new revenue streams. There are eight steps. You brainstorm all the possible new revenue streams. You research them and eliminate the ones you know you can't do. You pick the best three options. You model them, meaning you look at them financially and decide the best one to do. You then develop them, you roll them out, you determine if it's working or not, and then you tweak it by evaluating it. Those are the eight steps you would follow. 
when it comes to new revenue streams and it comes to trying to introduce one new one a year, if you had a fiscal year of July through June and we're in then fiscal year 21, which is what I will call it, you are actually brainstorming and researching things for fiscal year 23. You're picking the best three that you brainstormed and researched last year modeling it and picking the best one for fiscal year 22. You're rolling out the one for fiscal year 21 and you're deciding on the one that you rolled out last year. So you actually got four new revenues that you're working on right now. So the concept is it takes time to do these things. Normally from the brainstorming to the rolling out is two to three years. So it takes time to get to these. So having some structure to how you select new revenue streams and then are going to take those and then make those projects is a really important component to have. So go back and look at another chart. If we're in fiscal year 21, we're brainstorming and researching for fiscal year 23. We're looking at options and modeling for fiscal year 21. We're developing and trying for fiscal year, excuse me, for it was 22 for fiscal year 21. And then we're deciding and evaluating fiscal year 20. So there are actually four years potentially of stuff going on here. And I said a moment ago, it might take three years to roll it out until it reaches its goal. So sometimes with a new revenue stream, it could take upwards to six years before you can say, from brainstorm to actually meeting its goals, we've done what we're supposed to do. But without having some sort of process in place of selecting new revenue streams and then taking those and making those projects for what you need to do to make that happen, it's really hard to be clear on what revenue streams I ought to be looking at. So, this was a sidebar. What I talked about earlier was giving you a checklist about projects. But what I'm saying to you is I'm a pretty firm believer that a lot of your projects are going to be new revenue streams. And so there need to be certain guidelines you use and a certain process or model you follow when you're working with new revenue streams. And so this is something to consider. So what I'm going to do is just stop this one for a minute. And in the chat room, you know, feel free to throw a virtual tomato or ask a question or make a comment about what I've just said as it relates to new revenue streams. Because I do really believe this is really important um, as we look to grow our organizations going forward prior to COVID and even post-COVID. We just need to have a way to sort of decide what are the revenue streams that we think are worth putting time and energy into, thus building projects around. So, Margaret, I'll stop for a minute and just see if there are any reactions or comments or feedback to what I've said. Okay, thank you, Greg. I'm watching the chat room for you. I know I have one little question about that. So contract ed is um, really very, very good at fast response to the business or industry partners training needs. And literally it could be not every time, but as fast as one week. 
pull together curriculum, find the facilitator, decide on the location back in the day when you did have a location, not virtual. But you're not talking about that type. You're talking about a whole new revenue stream. Yeah, I, I, a, I understand that's, correctly. That's a perfect question and a perfect example. Contract education is successful because it can react quickly. And a lot of times we may be doing contracts in areas we've never done before because we're asked to. But the question becomes, if we see, for example, a certain product area as being an area that we want to grow, we want to really make a substantial revenue stream for us, it's more than just offering that one contract. It's now taking a look at what are all the other things that we're going to do within that area to provide all the potential services that we can provide. And so, and again, as I said, you know, you may not do this the way I just said, but I think the guidelines are important. So you sell a contract in health and you go, wow, I bet we could do a lot more work in health. Well, then you got to think about those guidelines and say, do I really feel like this is going to be as big a revenue stream as I want it to be? Or is it just a one-off thing? Or maybe I'll get a contract from time to time in these areas. So it's a way of thinking of our business and how we do what we do. Okay. So I'm just the comments that we have received is my boss needs to know the timeline. And then another individual said that they were surprised by the 50% operating margin. Well, let's go. First of all, yeah, I always agree. Our bosses need to know more than they know. And our job is to provide that education. And what I've always said to learn members is I'm always available to talk to your boss and provide quick you know, updates on why we ought to think certain ways. Regarding the operating margin, I will say that my work with contract education in California is that for many of you, you don't have a margin like that. Your margin is less than 50%. But when you look at successful contract education units across North America, the ones that are successful have a margin of 50% or better. And many times the whole organization um, continuing it and contract together is very dependent on contract education because there's parts of continuing ed that don't have a strong operating margin, for example, like your community ed side. And so contract education needs to perform better. But this doesn't mean that every contract is going to have that level of margin. You're going to find that some contracts will have a very high margin, some contracts will have a lower margin. But when you balance it off at the end of the year, you want to have a 50% or better margin. Okay. Um, in regards to that, uh, one of our uh, practitioners said it's typically around 30% for their unit. Um, and then some other, I love this, that timeline keeps dope slapping me. I press to do them more quickly, then there's problems. Right, and that's the issue is that, that again, for a new revenue stream, for a new contract, you gotta kick it and you gotta move it. But when it comes to a new revenue stream, you've gotta give yourself the time. And again, the timelines I've given you, those can be reduced to shorter times, but they can't happen tomorrow. It's just, you gotta give things the time they need to do it right. And that's why sometimes you'll just say the timing's not right. We gotta get it done faster and we can't, so we're not gonna do it. We're gonna focus on something else. And then um, another one of our practitioners um, shared, Greg, that 
they are thankful for this model that it helps avoid the overwhelm because ideas are thrown at them constantly. Yes. Yes. And those ideas that are thrown at, we should be saying thank you. And we should say once a year, you know, we do a brainstorm, we take all these things, we put them in the hopper, and then we do the research to decide what should be done or not. And when I say the research, this is high level. You can look at certain ideas that people have given you, you know, pretty quickly, you should be doing it or should be looking at it or shouldn't be looking at it. And so that's how you trim things out. But, but I think going back to the question of the boss too, remember our job is to educate and by having some model in place that says, you know, this is how we handle new ideas, new suggestions. At least you're looking like you've got some knowledge on how to do this. And lots of times people show respect to that and may well listen then to the way you're suggesting you look at things. Great, those are terrific questions. So here are some examples of projects and you guys said a lot of this already, you know, software system implementation. So if you decide you're going to implement Salesforce, that's a project. New product area or delivery method, like you're going to do start doing consulting or you're going to start doing live online. That's a project, figuring out how you're going to do it. If you're doing a staffing structure transition, you know, you're trying to grow your contract education or you're trying to take your existing structure and restructure it to get more effectiveness within it, that's a project. If you're going to develop an internal marketing plan, so a way of making sure that all your internal stakeholders know what you're doing, that's a project. In many cases, a new process is a project. Again, some of these projects don't take a lot of time, while some projects take a lot of time. And so you just have to keep that in mind. It's not like every project takes six months. Some could take six weeks, six days to get done. Another is a partnership with an online course provider or with a local organization. So building a partnership can be a project or a certificate program that you're building. You know, you don't have it at all. And you guys listed a couple of other things earlier that were like certificate programs or that concept. Um, that's a project. So in my mind, these are all the types of things that I would consider projects. So when we think of projects as they relate to management, so as you know, I'm a firm believer for organizations that are large enough that it is so critical to have a leadership team. And that could be two people, three people, five people but there are the people who are sort of responsible for making sure we as an organization are staying on track with what we're doing. So it means we need to do a good job managing. Well, project management is a tool. It's not the only tool, but it is a tool to help us manage better. It's allowing us to organize things that are going on. It's allowing us to decide where risk is, so it's managing risk. It's helping us manage our quality because it's making sure we're doing things the best we can before we roll them out. It's managing integration, how we integrate among the different components within our team, as well as external customers that we're working with. It just helps us manage change that's going on in our organization, helps us clarify issues. One of the things, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this more next week, but we have a lot of issues we need to deal with to get resolution on. 
And sometimes a project is a good way to get resolution on something. It allows us to retain and use our knowledge. So we've got all this expertise, but have we taken it and put it into something, be it if it's a process, be it if it's into a new product, if it's a new way of delivering, whatever, but we've now sort of figured out the how of this. And it allows us to learn from failure. We're not gonna have every project's not gonna be successful. So we're gonna learn by doing projects what works and what doesn't. As we think of management, I'm gonna do another little sidebar here. And I just wanna say that I am a firm believer that as a contract education organization, if you're gonna successfully use projects, you need to have three things. You need to have a three-year vision statement, you need to have a strategic plan, and you need to have a one-year business plan. A three-year vision statement is basically one page bulleted that says, this is what we're going to look like three years from now. There may be metrics, there may be something about your staffing structure, there may be something about your product mix, but basically, if I were to come and visit you three years from now, this is what you're going to look like. A strategic plan is made up of two things. It's made up of new revenue streams. So go back to what I talked about earlier regarding new revenue streams, because you don't get those done in one year. And a strategic plan is about addressing areas of improvement. What do we need to do better in operations? What do we need to do better in marketing, et cetera? but those can't get done in one year. A one-year business plan is our actual operating plan for this year that is helping us get to our vision by doing the things that our strategic plan says. So the vision drives the strategic plan, which then drives the one-year business plan. But I would tell you this, is that if you don't know how to do a business plan, if you don't have a business plan, the three-year vision and the strategic plan have no value because the business plan is what you do to implement what you're doing. So if I had a contract education unit, this is what my business plan would look like. What are my goals for this year? What are the three to seven most important things I need to accomplish to improve performance? What's my budget? And what are the key overall benchmarks I'm looking at? Within divisions, so health may be a division. Uh, transportation may be a division. Uh, soft skills might be a division. Consulting might be a division. However you structure your contract education, each division is gonna have an operating margin budget. It's gonna have benchmarks that are specific to that division. It's gonna have contract goals. How many leads do I need to generate? How many contracts do I need to sell? It's gonna have market segments. Who are we selling to? And it's gonna have strategies for selling. It's a plan specific to that division. That can then be broken down by quarters. So by division, how much revenue are we gonna generate? How many contracts are we gonna sell? And then from the marketing point of view, lead generation campaigns. What are the campaigns that we're putting in place this year to generate leads? And then who on what, who, who does what? You know, Jeff does this, Jim does this, Sally does that, or if you're larger, you know, then it's sales does this and, and product development does this and inside sales does that. So it depends on the size of your program. But it's a plan. It's a plan for the year. 
And the projects that you're doing may well be in your goals for the year because these are things we need to accomplish this year. We want to build this program this year. We want to restructure staff this year. We want to develop this internal marketing plan this year. Those are goals that ultimately we driven to be your projects. A strategic plan that supports the one-year business plan has three components. Foundation is basically, if I read it, I know who you are. Revenue streams is what I spoke about earlier. What are your revenue streams as you're looking out? You know, where are you sort of in that model? 20, fiscal year 23, fiscal year 22, 21. And then also it's taking a look at improvements. Where are the areas we need to improve? What are the actions we're going to take? What's the timeline? I'm not here today to do detail on all of this, but the point I want to make is, as we talk about management and we talk about how it relates to projects, you need to have a three-year vision which tells you what you want to look like. Because once you know what you want to look like, that's going to drive some of the projects you're going to do. You've got to have a strategic plan because that's supporting your vision statement. So it's saying over these next three years, this is what we need to work on. And these are the years we're going to work on them. And then the one-year business plan specifically takes and says, this is what has to happen this year. Most likely then within the goals, these are the projects we're working on. So the structure, when we talk about the management of this, having the structure within your organization to do this is really useful. So I did want to do another poll, and I just wanted to ask, um, do you have a one-year business plan? Now, you might call it something else. That's fine. And it may be on a napkin, or it may be something well-documented. But basically, I'm saying as you go into your next fiscal year, have you documented something that you follow in order as your plan so that you can look at it quarterly and see if you're on track or not? So you've got a choice of picking yes or no. I love how everybody's transparent and honest with this. So we've got 19 out of 26. Yeah, as you think about this, remember what I was saying is, I really believe the one-year business plan is the most important one because that's what implements things. So even if you don't have a vision and you don't have a strategic plan, do you at least have a one-year business plan? And normally you build your one-year business plan you start on it six months prior and you have it ready three months prior to the, the year you're going into. I, I think that's going to be the total of our votes. We have a couple in the chat that may not have access to the slide uh, to their computer no and one was a yes and one was a no. So I don't think that'll throw the poll off too much. So I'll end polling and I'll share results. There you go. Okay. And that's, I mean, I'm not surprised by the number. And if you're in no, don't beat yourself up. You know, it, it, normally it takes three years to be able to successfully develop a one-year business plan. So just start for the first year, sort of look at what I gave you. Maybe that's not the best structure for you, but think about what I talked about as components of it. 
and try to build something. And honestly, I think most organizations it's sitting down for four hours can build a one-year business plan. As you get more things get, as you get better at it, it may take a little bit more time because you're going to do more work on it, but anything is better than nothing. And the ones who said, yes, that's great. Cause I would say probably five years ago, that number would have been less than 20%. So I, it's good to hear that people do have plans that they're working with. All right. So let's go into the last topic, which is the project management model. And so basically there are four components to project management. And again, this is not unique to contract ed in that project management, you've got people teaching this for you and most likely this is what they're teaching. You initiate a project, you plan a project, you control a project and you close a project. But before looking at those four areas, let's look at something else, which is who are the players that are part of um, this team? You need to have a project sponsor. So this may well be whatever the title is, your dean, your executive, your CEO, your VP, whoever sits at the top of your staffing structure, most likely they're going to be the sponsor. They're the one who's going to say, ultimately, yep, go ahead. Yes, the funds are available. Yes, this is a priority. Um, and if there are issues along the way, they're the ones who's going to resolve the issues. Now, a lot of times, if you do have a leadership team, the leadership team may well be the project sponsor, but the person who leads the leadership team is ultimately your project sponsor. Then you're going to have someone who manages the project, and many of you are probably the ones who would be managing the projects, and you're basically responsible for the overall success of the project. You're responsible for taking it to beginning to end and making sure that what was in the plan actually happens. The third player is your customers. This means whoever the project is being developed for, who benefits. So if it's an internal project, it's gonna be you know, people on your staff. If it's an external project, it may be, again, a, a certificate program you're building that's gonna service a certain business sector that's out there. But there's some customer, there's someone who's gotta benefit from this project. And then most likely there are going to be other stakeholders, either individuals or organizations that are going to be impacted by whatever it is you're doing. So it may well be your instructors may be stakeholders because they're going to have to deliver whatever this project is, say a certificate program. There may be internal components of your institution if you're going through a staffing structure change. It may be stakeholders because there's a different way you're going to be interfacing with them. So you've got stakeholders also. So you've got a sponsor, you've got a project management manager, you've got customers, and then you've got others who serve as your stakeholders. So, and you're going to see lots of pictures of Basset Hounds because I love Basset Hounds. And if I am able to, if my wife is allowing me to get my own dog in the future, it'll be a Basset Hound. I'll show you a picture of our dog that we have, who's a great dog. I'll show you next week what he looks like, but I do love Basset Hounds. So that's why you're looking at a Basset Hound. So when it comes to initiating a project, project startup is basically we've decided this is a project. So we've gone through many of the things we've talked about earlier and we've said, yes, this is going to be a project. So we've got the project sponsor who said, yep, go ahead with it. And um, we've decided that this is something we as an organization need to do. From there, we're building a project charter. 
And this is giving the project a name. This is being clear who the sponsor and the manager are, who the customer is, who the stakeholders are, and what the stakeholders' responsibilities are. Easier to look at it from this. So next week, I'm going to give you you know, sort of a whole thing from uh, beginning to end, and this project charter will be part of it. But when you look at a project charter, it has a name, it has a manager, it has a customer, who are the other stakeholders, what are their responsibility, what are the objectives of doing this, excuse me, what are the business objectives, what are the project objectives, what's the deliverable, when do we need to get it done by, What's the money we need to do it? And then what assumptions do we have? And then how does it link to other things that are going on within our organization? Pretty simple. So if you have a project that you're gonna move forward with, you should be able to provide this information. And then once it's documented, the sponsor and the manager should sign off on it saying, this is what we've agreed the project is. This is what we agree is going to be done. So project charter is critical. I would argue that if you don't have a project charter, you really can't do a project. And so again, it may not look like this as a charter when you develop it, but it's got to be something that documents what it is that you're going to be working on. So when it comes to planning a project, what are the requirements? So you've got that project charter that's giving you that information. What are the roles and responsibilities? So who's 